live in a society that just privileges emotional and verbal communication over physical. And so you can walk into a therapist's office and say, we're not having sex. And the therapist will say, well, let's get your communication better. Let's get your relationship better. And then the sex will follow. Between you, me, and the four walls is ridiculous. I know a lot of people who are in lovely relationships, but they're having no sex. And the problems that created because of the no sex are the problems. But nobody will turn around and say, listen, let's get the sex going well. And then maybe the relationship will follow, even though I know that that's true. Because when sex is working, it's like the third leg of a stool, right? We kind of don't notice it's there, but if it's gone, the whole thing starts to get wobbly. Mm -hmm. But if you put that third leg of the stool back again, it makes the whole thing work better. Welcome to the Rebel Love Podcast, where each week I'll bring you a new episode exploring love, sex, relationships, and money. Join me as together we question, explore, and strive to understand. to another episode of the Rebel Love Podcast. Today, my guest is Dr. Batsheva Marcus, a certified sex therapist and clinical director of Maze Women's Sexual Health, the largest independent center for women's sexual health in the United States. Known as the queen of vibrators and the orthodox sex guru, she's passionate about helping women have a healthy and robust sex life. Today, she's here to talk about her book, Sex Points, the first book that helps you identify and analyze for yourself what factors are affecting your sex life. Welcome, Dr. Batsheva. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited about this. Oh, me too. I'm really excited too. And I just want to say, I, you know, we met, I met all my guests before for a little bit of an interview and then you thankfully sent me your book. And I was just telling you, it is like a Bible. I really think that this is just definitely a book that everybody needs to read uh, at, at that point in their life where they're having that kind of crisis. So um, can you talk a little bit about, first, I just want to jump right into this because I feel like I want to, I want to hear your story, but I want to hear why you created this book. Why did, why did you create this book? First of all, thank you for saying that, that it's like the Bible, because I do, I really feel like this book is the book every woman needs and not even in the moment of crisis. You know, I feel like even when you're starting out with the sex life or anytime your sex life isn't static. That's what I feel like people don't quite get. People kind of think that they're going to learn to have sex and then everything is going to just keep flowing that same way as if, you know, they figured it out and then they, they, they keep at it, you know, like it's a, I don't know, a game of golf or something, but mm -hmm. your sex life is anything but static, right? It changes constantly. It changes because your health changes, your body changes, your hormone levels change, the medications you're on change. It changes because your relationships change. It changes because your life situation status changes. It changes because your anxiety level changes. You know, it just is constantly ebbing and flowing. And so women would often come into my center and kind of want to know what's broken. And they want me to help fix it as if it's like this binary light switch. And that was just not a helpful model for women to understand their sex life. It doesn't work that way. It, your sex life is constantly changing and evolving and you're getting points from lots of things. Mm -hmm. Again, your health, your hormones, your medications, and you're losing points from lots of things too. Your health, your hormones, your medications, your relationships. So I always say to women, and this is where I came up with this idea, and this is where ultimately I, why I wrote the book, stop thinking about your sex life as if it has a one-off switch, that there's something broken, like some trauma in your past, some magic bullet that you're looking for, some perfect partner that you're looking for. What you need to think about is where you're getting points from as your life evolves and where you're losing points from and understand and know that your life, sex life is going to constantly change. It's just, it is. And the more you know that, and the more you know that there are going to be curveballs and there's going to be road bumps and also have the confidence to know that you can fix most things. And most things really can be fixed. You can get points from other places where you can restore your points from certain places. Mm -hmm. You'll get points back at different times in your life. So if you go in with this idea that is an ever-changing experience, it just sets you up to have a really good long-term sex life as opposed to those terrible situations where, you know, you have sex and then the next thing you know, things aren't so good. And so you kind of stop having sex and then six months go by and then a year goes by and all of a sudden you turn around and you're not having sex. And that becomes the problem much more than the original problems that started. So I wrote the book because I'm helping women and I have women coming in from pretty far and wide at this point, but I wanted to get this message out and these solutions that I think are really doable. Mm -hmm. I wanted to empower women to be able to fix their own sex lives. And on that basis, 
I wrote this book. I, I know it sounds kind of complicated and I'm happy. I'm happy to give an example because I think it makes it easy. If I sometimes run through an example, if you want me to, I can do that or, or we can dive into some of the specific solutions, however you want. No, I think an example is great. And um, I also would love you to cover, like you're talking about these points and I know because I've read the book, but if somebody hasn't read the book, can you go into a bit more about the points and how you came up with that system? Absolutely. So I think my example is going to explain that as well. So let's Perfect. take um, let's take some like fictional 18-year-olds and we're going to call her Tammy. I always call her Tammy and my, my office manager's name is Tammy. And I'm like, is it okay <laughs> that I use your name, Tammy? And she's like, oh, go ahead. Watch out. Anyway, so let's take our little fictional Tammy. She is 19 years old. She's in fabulous health. She's, her, she's got hormones coursing through her body. She's interested in sex. She's 19 years old. She has 90 points, 90 out of 100 points, because I always say, let's shoot for 100 points. You can get a lot more than that, but let's shoot for 100 points. Tammy's walking around with 90 just from her own body, right? We all know a Tammy. She can, have, she can hook up with some guy at a bar in a sleazy bathroom or in a, on an airplane with somebody she just met and, you know, in that tiny little bathroom that you can't maneuver in. Mm-hmm. She can have sex with somebody and she can have pretty good sex because she only needs 10 points, right? She's walking around 90 of her own. Mm-hmm. Now let's take Tammy and she's 25 years old and she meets some hot new guy. Let's she meets Keanu Reeves. Okay. <laughs> and um, it's hot and new and she's got 30 points from that. And she falls madly in love. So she's got 30 points from that. Tammy's walking around with 150 points. And if Keanu Reeves, bless his soul, leaves all the dishes in the sink and makes her crazy and she loses 20 points from that, she's still walking around with 120 points. She's still going to have great sex with Keanu Reeves, right? Mm-hmm. But now, or if work gets crazy and she's exhausted and she's losing 30 points from that, she's still going to have good sex because she has such a surfeit of points. Now let's take Tammy five years later, right? She's 30 years old. She and Kiana have this adorable little baby. So cute. (laughs) But the child is banging at the door, right? So that's taken away quite a few points. And so... And it's not so hot and new anymore. So she doesn't have those 30, but she's still in love with him. So she's Mm -hmm. floating around at about 100 points and they're still doing okay until baby number two arrives all of a sudden. Now there's two pickets banging at the door or crying in the middle of the night or her hormone levels drop and that loses points or she changes birth control pills and that takes away points. So all of a sudden now Tammy is now at 90. Nothing seems to be working. Her sex life sucks. She doesn't know what's the matter with her. Kiana is all upset because they're never having sex. She doesn't know what the matter is. She wanders her way in either to a therapist's office or to a OBGYN's office and says, you know, I don't know what's going on with me. I'm just not interested in sex. Classically, the answer will be something like, well, Tammy, how was it when you were on vacation last time? And Tammy will think back and say, oh, you know what? We were away at the beach. It was great. And so then they'll say, oh, that it must be psychological, Tammy. But then Tammy feels terrible, right? She, it wasn't psychological. It's that the beach or the vacation or whatever it was gave her 10 points. And so she leaves that office feeling worse than when she started because she doesn't live on vacation. And so my job and the book's job is to say to Tammy, listen, Tammy, we're going to look at your life as it exists right now. Let's see where you think you may be missing points. And let's see if we can get those points back from somewhere for you. Right. you you're not going to be able to get rid of your kids. You love your kids. You want your kids. You can't, they will grow up eventually and you will get points back from there. But for right now, let's see where we can get you points right where you are now. That may be learning to use your brain differently. That may be switching your birth control pills. That may be addressing the little bit of pain that you have. Let's look at the whole picture and see where we can get you points. Mm-hmm. Did you feel like that clarifies the point system in a way that people can understand? Yeah, absolutely. And and I love that um, when we first talked about this, you were like, uh, it's like a choose your own adventure book, which it totally is. And what I love about that is that there's just no one size fits all in anything, I think. And it's really nice to see a healthcare professional, um, you know, I don't know, kind of like explicitly take that into consideration. You know, it's like, hey, you're not like, you know, um, Joanna down the road, you're Tammy. So we're going to look at your life and what's affecting you and this particular circumstance right now, like you're saying, it's changing. So I just really love that. I think it's really, really useful. And um, and I also think that um, one of the reasons why I started Rebel Love was because I didn't want people to feel alone. And I think that I got a lot of that from reading your book. I was like, especially towards the end, I was like, oh my gosh, this is so great to hear these stories. And you talk about a lot of things that is really important. And we were just talking about the um, complicated emotions, complicated emotions. And like you use an example of someone, you know, being turned on by shame. 
and just all these just all these examples and you're like, oh my gosh, there's just so many different types of people out there and so many different types of sex. And and it feels like a lot of people make themselves wrong for the kind of sex they want to have. Because we don't talk about sex. It's so weird. It's so weird, Talia. Like it's on the one hand, we live in a society that's drenched with sex, right? It's drenched, like it's on TV and it's on the movies and it's in the books. And yet it's this very, very simplified clean up. Uh, it's like a very specific kind of sex. And that leaves everybody who's not have we're not having real conversations. And so that often leaves everybody feeling like, oh my God, I'm weird. I'm not normal. I'm yeah. like different. And if I said to you, like every woman who walks into my office feels like she's abnormal. It's, it's, it's a little bit mind boggling to me, like yeah. how much, what a number we do on ourselves. And, you know, I laugh because on the same day I can have a new patient who says, this is going to be the weirdest thing you've ever heard in your life. But like, I slept with 50 guys every year in college. So by the time I finished college, I had slept with 200 guys. Yeah. And I know that's like, I have so much shame about that. And then an hour later, I'll see somebody who goes, okay, this is the weirdest story you've ever heard, but really I've only had sex with my husband. And I know that that's terrible. And I have so much shame about that. And I'm like, why is it that everybody feels abnormal when the range of normal is so wide? And if you started talking, if people started talking about it, yeah, it, it would just be so freeing. And it, it's, it's a little, you know, yesterday I had a patient. It was so interesting. She, she had pain and they, she hasn't had sex in a year. Not mm-hmm. so unusual. She has not had any kind of sex. You know, if you're having pain, you can still have other kinds of sex without having anything in your vagina, but she hasn't. Mm-hmm. And she said, she told me the story. She said to me about six months after I had my baby, which is already like, I don't know, six years earlier, a friend said to her, oh my God, I had a baby and I'm trying to have sex and it's so painful. Are you having the same problem? She was having the same problem but she was embarrassed because they weren't having sex. She was like, a, I don't know, a year out or something. And she had, and she was too embarrassed. So she lied. She said, oh no, we're fine. And then now I think to myself, look at that, look at that, um, look at the problems that we're just like re-replicating for each yeah. other because we're all perpetuating. so- ig- Perpetuating, that was the word, because we're all so convinced we have to come across as being like, we have it all together. And yeah. so- I'm saying to you, no, your sex life is always complicated and that's fine. And that's just part of what it is. And sometimes it was working well and often it's not working well. And it, mm. there's another person usually involved, not always, but if there's another person involved in your sex life, they have issues and like, just in, embrace that and know that that it's messy and we're going to fix it. And that's yeah. fine. Yeah. It's really interesting, actually. I think there's been a couple of different extremes for me in terms of people talking about their sex life. On one hand, when I was younger, there was a lot of women speaking like too explicitly in not painting their partners in a very um, great way or doing it in a really kind of derogatory way versus now um, I have a lot of women who don't want to share because I know their partners. So they're like, it's too private and I don't want you to think something about him. Whereas it's like, it's not, it's the furthest thing from gossiping possible. It's like, hey, well, let's just talk about it. Like, it's not about, you know, ragging any, on anybody. It's just about discussing what's happening. Like you said, so we all know and we have this open conversation. Right. Because if everybody knew that everybody else was struggling and everybody, you know, I joke around because the statistic is that 40, 41 or 43% of women have poor problem with their sex life. Mm-hmm. And I'm always joking around that the other 57% are just lying about it. Yeah. Right. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like really like, every, I don't know any woman who gets through her whole sex, her whole life without having sexual, unless she stops having sex, which right. is a problem of itself. So um, I did want to, can I add one thing about the choose your own adventure piece? Oh, please. Yeah. Yeah. Really sure. So for, for the people listening, the way that the, the book is set up, it, it, it starts with a questionnaire so that you can get some kind of sense as to like where you're scoring overall that hundred points is where you're aiming, mm-hmm. but it also then divides it into quadrants, right? Like there's a pain quadrant, a desire quadrant, an arousal quadrant, and a orgasm quadrant. And once you see where you're scoring the most points and where you have the least points, that's where the choose your own adventure comes in. Because it will say something like, okay, you scored really low on the orgasm chapter, try chapter 13, 17, and you know, 18, or you're really low on the desire chapter, try three, six, and 12. Like that's where the choose your own adventure comes in. Absolutely. And I, I really want women to be able to go back and keep taking the questionnaire every year or whatever, and then find the chapters that are relevant to you then. So that's, that, that's, that's kind of how the book is built. Yeah. I love that. I just think it's so, I mean, for me, anything that I read, like, you know, information comes in and when it's, when you really need it, 
you just get it in a different way. And I feel like that is really, really true with this book. It's just, uh, it was almost confronting doing the the quiz as well. Cause it was like, ah, oh, I've got to think about this. And you know, it was kind of like, okay, <laughs> let's no, think about this. <laughs> no, you're totally right. I mean, I joke around and one of the reviews, maybe it was the New York times. I don't remember. One of the reviews said, okay, this questionnaire is not like tricky. Like I'm not trying to trick you into, you know, yeah. finding something out. It's more helping you sort of identify and assess yourself. And I know that for sometimes that can be painful because you haven't looked at it and it's hard to look at and, women don't want to look at their sex life because they don't really believe that they're going to be able to fix it. And so I'm going to say to you, for those of you who are listening and are like, oh, I don't know if I want to take this test, I'm going to say to you, I promise you, I promise you that things can be better. Mm. And, um, and, and if you can go in knowing that, then that's okay. Because this is just a matter of your kind of understanding and assessing what needs to be tinkered with. And the distinction between a desire and arousal, which I think people don't get, is often extremely helpful for people as well. So mm-hmm. you know, those four quadrants, pain, desire, arousal, and orgasm, usually problems fall into some variation of those and they all impact on each other. Mm-hmm. But understanding where your fundamental problems may start or where you can start finding solutions is incredibly, I think, helpful to women and empowering. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I... I think so too. And I, and I, and I'm just recollecting a moment in the book where you talk about that you went into um, a men's group and you were talking, you asked a question about, you know, what men want, like busting some myths, like men thinking like, you know, by society that men want to have sex all the time and they just want to, you know, sleep with anyone they see. And, 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 and someone came up to you and said, what a relief it was to hear you talk about, you know, that that's actually not true. And the reason why I bring that up is because a friend of mine actually was telling me the other day, she's like, I literally, if it was in, if it was my decision, I would have sex every single day. But my partner right now is he's, he's self-conscious about his weight. So we're not having regular sex. And she's like, it's really affecting me. Like I want to have sex and you know, I'm not sleeping with anybody else. And so it was really interesting to hear her talk the about revert- So that's so interesting that you're raising that because more commonly we mm. hear about the woman being the low desire partner and the man being the higher desire partner. And because of our cultural norms, that's tricky, but it's not nearly as tricky and painful as when the man is the low desire partner and the woman is the higher desire partner. And because that has, in addition to all the other stuff you have to negotiate, it also has... This feeling women come somehow feel like, oh, I must not be attractive enough or I must not be enough in order to, and men have that too when that happens, but not nearly the sense of shame that women have. So first of all, the friend that talked to you about this, she deserves like a gold medal Mm -hmm. for being able to just tell her I said she deserves a gold medal for being (laughs) able to, um, to articulate it and not be shamed. And the second thing I will tell you is you should tell her that he should go and have his testosterone checked from a um, specialist because for men in particular, for women, testosterone is hugely important. For men, it's that is almost like a light switch and often overweight men, that affects their testosterone and their testosterone also affects their weight. They can't lose weight. And so um, sometimes getting that testosterone fixed can make all the difference. So I'm just, not that you asked me for, you know, curbside um, (laughs) advice for your friend's husband or boyfriend, but I would say to her, she shouldn't, if she cannot go down that rabbit hole about her not being enough, sexy enough, hot enough, pretty enough, but she should say to him, I I really do think you need to get this checked out because it can have other ramifications on his health as well. And my experience with talking to men is that it's more than one conversation. Usually it's a number of conversations before you can kind of get them to get help. Well, that, that brings me to the next point. So here's the thing, like everything on this book is kind of predicated on the fact that people actually want to do something about it. And that is the big thing, right? Like, as I was reading this thinking, oh my gosh, this is just heartbreaking. If you are like, Hey, I want to work on our sex life. Cause it's very confronting for people to talk about. So, you know, I remember I did have a partner a long time ago who had, um, who just had premature ejaculation and it was, and I was like, you know, no big deal. It's fine. You know, like we can deal with this. But then it was like a long time into the relationship and it was like, okay, <laughs> I feel like we need to talk about this now. It's like, you know, it's, it's not, I, I just thought, oh, it'll, it'll kind of fix itself. That's what I thought. <laughs> we don't need to talk about it. Let's just wait and see what happens. <laughs> and what happens? <laughs> Nothing. It's kept going. <laughs> and then did he go, did he go get help? 
Um, I did talk to him about it and it was, um, he was incredibly uncomfortable and obviously it was a, um, a very sensitive conversation. So I spoke to him in a way that was, you know, sensitive and calm and, um, yeah. And he didn't really like, he didn't want to talk about it when I brought it up. So I didn't, I didn't want to push it cause I didn't want him to feel uncomfortable. Um, so it was a tough one. It was a real tough one, actually. That is a great, uh, you know, first of all, there was a great Sex and the City episode about this. I don't know if you saw it. It was one of the best Sex and the City episodes. Remember the show <laughs> Sex and the City? Samantha? No, it was uh, Sarah Jessica Parker. Um, uh, the main character, what's her name? Uh, yeah, um, uh, Carrie. Carrie. Carrie, right. So Carrie's dating a guy who she loves. She loves his family. Everything about him is fabulous, but he has severe premature ejaculation and he will not discuss it. He will not discuss it. And that is where it gets really heart-wrenching because these things are, premature ejaculation is totally treatable, totally 100% treatable, but it gets right at what you said when you started, which is you have to want to treat it. Yeah. And if you, if, so in the chapter, so I have a chapter in the book called Men Are From Mars. Maybe it's time we started to explore Mars. Mm-hmm. I start off by talking about the fact that um, women are very quick to blame themselves, like for low desire. He, I must not be hot enough. I must not be sexy enough. Yeah. Erection problems. Oh, I must not be a good enough lover or he must not be attracted to me. So part of that, you know, we think of, oh, we women, we always take everything on ourselves. And there's something very sweet in that narrative. I hear that. And I think there's some truth to that. But I'll be honest with you. I think there's something else going on here, Talia. I think that um, if it isn't our fault, then we can't control the response, right? So there's something that's almost comforting when we think it's our fault, right? Like if it said I'm not sexy enough or hot enough, well, maybe I could try to be sexier or hotter. But if this is a hormonal problem that he's having, or if he's having, you know, if he's gotten too used to masturbating to pornography, or if he, or if he is, um, you know, you know, having other medical issues, I can't, and he's not willing to do anything or it's premature ejaculation. And it's not my fault then I can't do anything about that. I have to hope that he does. And that's a really, really hard thing. Like it's a hard pill to swallow. So some of the work I sometimes do with women is setting boundaries. Like this really needs to be addressed. Like my sex, feeling entitled to a sex life and feeling, figuring out how to have the conversations with your partner to say, this is truly important to me and this can be solved and you need to pull up your big boy pants and need to address it. And how are we going to do that in a way that's going to make you feel loved and supported, but is going to get me a reasonable life. And that that's the example I would say about your boyfriend and the premature ejaculation, because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't know if that's why the relationship ended, but it could have been why the relationship ended. No, it wasn't that, why the relationship ended. Okay. But it could have been. Like, would you have been willing to live your whole life with that? Probably not. Oh, I would have been willing to work through it with him for sure. And I like the if language it, you just used um, of like, how can I support you in a loving way? That's really, you know. Yes, because in really the useful. end, he, but in the end, he would have to do it, right? You can't take him by the hand while he's, you know, asleep and take him to the doctor for, you know, the right. medication, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know it's very confronting for a lot of people, um, you know, to have those conversations and, yeah, it, I mean, it, you know, I didn't bring it up for a long time because I didn't want to, I didn't want anyone to feel uncomfortable, and I knew it was going to be awkward. And you know, you don't, we don't, we, we, there's so much aversion to these these awkward conversations. And like you said, if we maybe talked about them more, then it wouldn't be, you know. And I really love that. Um, I really love that reframe of if it's my, if it's in my court, it's my decision to do something about it. I love that. Yeah. Hmm. Oh my gosh. I feel like there was, there's so many golden nuggets in your book, but uh, one thing that really stood out to me was uh, near the start of the book, you tell a story of a 56 year old woman who comes into your office, who's been experiencing pain uh, that's been getting increasingly worse over three years. Um, and after being treated at your practice, she was pain-free after three weeks. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Cause I thought that that was that, like, you're thinking out of the box in that particular situation and just like, holistically looking at what other doctors didn't look at, I was just like, wow, I can't believe how quickly. And it it was actually made me kind of angry that she went and tried to get help and, you know, you know, oh my anyway, God! You, you, and, me, you and me together, sister. I, I I get so angry. I get regularly get angry because you know then it was thinking outside the box. Um, and now it feels like there's enough information out there. Doctors should be better educated. Yeah. Um, 
women, as they go through perimenopause and menopause, there are a couple of things happen. But classically, what we think happens is that their estrogen is dropping precipitously as you're heading into menopause. Mm-hmm. And your vagina is so hormonally sensitive. Like it needs the hormones it needs. So if it doesn't get enough estrogen, the first thing that's going to feel it is your vagina. And so doctors are very used to tossing estrogen at women who are perimenopause or menopause. They're like, oh yeah, you need estrogen. I can see it. It's like, you can look at the tissue in the vagina and it looks like thin and papery and whitish. Anyway, so this woman came in and she'd been like, she, but what was funny about it was she, I still remember, this is like 15 years ago. She called me up and she said, you know, I'm having pain. And I, I knew that we're really good at solving pain. And so I said, why don't you come in? And she's like, I have been to the top three doctors, top three OBGYNs in New York City. And I want to know what you're going to do for me that they haven't done for me. And I'm like, okay, uh, we're really good, but fixing a vagina that we haven't seen is really kind of beyond our capability still. I have to be honest with you. So anyway... She comes in and she did need the estrogen. But the other thing that had happened is that the muscles had tightened up, which you don't think of typically with postmenopausal, menopausal women. When you think of tight muscles, we call it vaginismus, tight muscles. You see that a lot with young women, young women who are just starting out their sex life. Sometimes their muscles are so tight and, and, um, like slam shut so that you can't get anything in there, a finger, a tampon, a penis. It's so common and so treatable, but you use these like what we call dilators. They're like little pens, sticks, whatever. They're plastic. They come in different thicknesses. You insert them. You basically, you're just learning to stretch the muscles. And we have that a lot with young women who are starting to have sex and it's extremely painful. And it's a very low tech solution. It works really well. A lot of them are very scared. We can have a whole conversation about that because it's a fascinating thing. I have a whole chapter in the book about it. But for postmenopausal women, they're not scared. There's no fear involved. They just, their muscles have tightened up. But gynecologists don't think that way because these women have been having sex for 20 years, you know? So we said, oh yeah, they're right. You do need estrogen, but you also need these dilators. And the, she started using the dilators and within three weeks, she was pain-free and, and she was like laughing and furious. And so mm. it, so was I, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. she's like, I cannot believe for three years I have been struggling. So I feel like sometimes the answer, which is so obvious, um, kind of gets lost in the shuffle because doctors hand you half a story mm-hmm. as opposed to realizing again, that it's no, most things aren't one solution. There are a few different things. And we're so used to a society getting handed a pill or a prescription, you right. know, as opposed to here's a few things you need to do and you need to kind of do them together because that will be the solution. So that, yeah. that was the story. Yeah, it was the story. So, yeah. I remember you saying in the book, um, even the nurse said to you, like, are you sure? And you're like, yes. yeah. <laughs> you're like, yeah, you're try right. it. You know, it's just interesting to see even going, well, that doesn't fit the mold. That's not in this prescription. Like, oh, well, she's she's in the older age bracket, so, um, so that shouldn't be the problem. But you're like, well it's not going to hurt her. So why don't we try it and see what happens? Exactly. It works for my 20 year olds. So let's try it with a 45 year old. You're telling me the muscles are tight, you know? Right. And she's like, okay. And then it was like nothing. It was totally the solution. And I feel like everywhere I go now, when I'm speaking to OBGYNs, I talk constantly about using dilators with perimenopausal and menopausal women. And I hope that more and more doctors are getting it, but you know, I, I, I don't know, you know, I, I don't, I don't know, but I, I, I hope that they are. And I think that women are getting to understand that there's solutions mm. to the problems. Well, it's just nice to fit, have a doctor. I mean, I, and obviously I can't talk about all doctors, but it's just really nice to have a doctor who's like, it's my mission to solve this puzzle. <laughs> and you're just so, like, let's look at all of the things that we could possibly try. No. So that's how we found the Botox, the Botox injections for the vet, for the primary vaginas, for the young women mm-hmm. who come in, who can't get anything into their vagina because their vagina is really tight and they're petrified. They're petrified. And, um, and there really was, you know, people spent years in therapy and Mm -hmm. whatever, sometimes, you know, relaxation exercises, anti-anxiety medication. Then you started introducing these like dilators. But I remember a patient sitting up on the table and she had hyperventilated, literally hyperventilated. And she said, Bacheva, I can't do this. I just can't do this. And so then I was on a mission, exactly on a mission to figure out a better way to treat vaginismus. And we found it. And 
So we do this Botox procedure for women that uh, women fly in from around the world to come in. It's the simplest procedure, Talia. That's the thing that's so funny about this whole thing is mm-hmm. that it's, you know, it's like a 20 minute procedure and you're under, I don't know if anybody's interested, I, they can come to my Instagram account. I have um, lives that I save on my Instagram IGTVs and I have a patient who did the procedure, but basically we just, you, we put you under conscious sedation for 15 or 20 minutes we pull open the muscles that have tightened up so much. We inject Botox in the vagina so that you can't tighten the muscles up again for a number of months. We inject lidocaine, we insert a dilator and the woman wakes up and all of a sudden for the first time in her life, she actually has something inside her vagina. It does not hurt at all. And she's like, oh my God, I can do this. And Mm -hmm. um, that is a perfect example of where I was like, there has to be a better way and let's find it. And I can't, I can't promise you I found it for everything, but I try my hardest. I really do. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I I can tell, I definitely can tell by reading this book. And um, and just what you're describing as well is incredibly life changing for someone. So I just thank you so much for being so like so on a mission. It's just it, no, it, it's so incredibly sure. important. So incredibly important. I know you wanted to talk about the complicated emotions. <laughs> well, I, I really liked as well. I'm on. Again, like around about page 10 of your book, you mentioned an example of thinking that there's something wrong with them, like avoiding sex and then losing emotional intimacy. You said people get confused about which one came first. Like, are you not having sex with your partner because you need to work on your emotional intimacy or is your emotional intimacy being affected by your avoiding sex? So I I just love that. I was like, yes, chicken or the egg, which one is it? And how do we, like, what are some clues around that? Well, you are... um I don't think it's either or. I think it's both. And I think that's one of my big bugaboos. I feel like we live in a society that just privileges emotional and verbal communication over physical. And so you can walk into a therapist's office and say, we're not having sex. And the therapist will say, well, let's get your communication better. Let's get your relationship better. And then the sex will follow, which Mm -hmm between you, me, and the four walls is ridiculous. I know a lot of people who are in perfectly lovely relationships, but they're having no sex. And the problems that are created because of the no sex are the problems. But nobody will turn around and say, listen, let's get the sex going well. And then maybe the relationship will follow, even though I know that that's true. Because sex, let's be honest, when sex is working, it's like the third leg of a stool, right? You're like, you kind of don't notice it's there, but if it's gone, the whole thing starts to get wobbly. Mm-hmm. But if you put that third leg of the stool back again, it makes the whole thing work better. Like it, your stool is working again. Like there's something about sex that enables your relationship to function on a different, completely different level. So, um, you know, I, there was this wonderful movie at, at a couple of years ago called Hope Springs with Tommy Lee Jones and Meryl Streep. I, I love this movie. It was about an older couple who'd stopped having sex. And she finally has enough because, you know, they hadn't had sex in years. She's lonely. She, and she decides right. it's much lonelier to be living with somebody that you don't actually have an intimate relationship with. And so she sort of forces his hand. And what happens, of course, big surprise, they start having sex again. But, um, spoiler, but... but <laughs> what was so moving and touching to me and was so glad about it is it showed the, how the tenor of the relationship changed. Like it became playful and fun. And Mm -hmm. because there is something about when you're having sex with somebody, you are opening up a part of yourself that you're not opening up to anybody else. You're allowing yourself to be emotionally vulnerable. Like when you say you're getting naked with somebody, you're getting naked, not just practically without clothes on, you're getting naked so that the person, you're allowing the person to see you in a way nobody else sees you. Mm-hmm. And that is very, very much core to the creation of a really much more meaningful relationship. And I feel like if the sex is good, very often the relationship, the communication, all these other pieces can follow. So it breaks my heart a little bit that we live in a society which is so convinced that um, first you have to fix the relationship and make the relationship perfect and then we'll have sex. Or Mm. if you're having a problem with sex, it must be a problem in the relationship. And I'm like, no, it doesn't mean that there's a problem with the relationship. It just means there's a problem with your sex life. Let's fix that so that it doesn't cause more cracks in the relationship. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm 
I totally agree. Like the closest relationships I've had is when we're having lots of sex and it's just like, I don't, I can't keep my hands off you. It's just like such a nice bubble to be in. But uh, okay. What, what came up for me, it was like, okay, all these people, particularly women, to be honest, because I've heard this a lot from a lot of people. And even when I speak to like, just people I meet randomly who aren't my friends, like I'm so angry or I'm like, our relationship's so far gone that like having sex with them is like the last thing I want to do. So it's like, at what point, you know, because I feel like there's a lot of people who are just fed up. We're like, I'm so fed up with your behavior. I know that if we have sex, it's not going to be that connected, intimate sex. It's going to be just, you know, a quickie, which is fine, by the way. I'm not ragging on quickies. They're great. And I know you talk about that in your book as well. (laughs) But in this particular instance, you know, of the reconnecting the um, emotional intimacy, um, it's its particular type of sex, I guess, is like that reigniting one. Well, I think there's two issues that need to be separated here. If if there are serious issues in the relationship, then those need to be addressed. I am not saying that sex is going to, the panacea that's going to fix everything right. at all. If there are serious issues, if you are furious at your partner because you feel like they never communicate their emotional life to you, they are never available, they they are hurtful or they, they go after you, they're not safe in emotionally. Mm-hmm. Those are problems that need to be addressed in a therapeutic situation. I am not suggesting sex fixes all. Mm-hmm. That's really different than we have a fine relationship, but we're just not having sex. Or, you know, he irritates me sometimes. <laughs> and so I don't really want to, you know, women will say to me something like, if I come home and his socks are on the floor and we haven't had sex in a long time, I want to take those socks and stuff them down his throat. <laughs> if I come home and his socks are on the floor and we just had good sex, I will laugh and I will scoop them up and throw them in the hamper, right? right. That is what I'm talking about, right? So if somebody has is really angry at their partner and there's some really big significant issues, those have to be addressed. I'm not suggesting that. But if the issues are just feeling distant, um, slightly aggravated, you know, your relationship is kind of pretty good, but just you're not feeling it. That's where I feel like sex can make all the difference. Does that make sense? Yeah. 100%. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. There's just so many things that I could talk to you about. I feel like, I feel like there's so many different ways we could go. I've got like a couple more questions before we wrap up because uh, honestly, we, you know, I'd love to get you back because I feel like there's just too I'll much to talk about. I'll come back anytime you want. Anytime awesome. You want. Awesome. Great. <laughs> Um, so you, you tell a story as well as well. This really, really stuck with me in the complicated emotion section about, um, a, a woman or women dealing with, uh, infidelity differently. Like some people breaking down as I guess a lot of people would expect them to, but other women and, and perhaps more commonly than we might think hating on themselves are actually finding it a turn on and it igniting their desire. I think those are the words that you use. So um, let's talk a little bit about that. I think that was really interesting for me. So basically the scenario is somebody cheats and you're actually turned on by it rather than turned off by it. Right. So when I talk about the fact that we really have done a number on our sexuality, like we want to make it really clean, right? We want to make it only loving, only vanilla, only, you know, it with, with caring, loving, supportive emotions. Well, that works for some people. And for some people, those things aren't, the, as big a turn on as some much more intense emotions like aggression, anger, right? For themselves, their partner, and how to manage those in a safe environment. Mm-hmm. What you're talking about, and it, this was like a lesson to me as a sex therapist, because when I got involved with this initially, I was a little taken aback myself. I had women coming in who said, like, we haven't had sex in, I don't know, six months, a year, whatever. And then I found out, and I just, my desire was like at an all-time low. And then I found out he had an affair. And I was furious and hurt and betrayed. And oh my God, I wanted to have sex with him. I can't, I don't know what the matter is. What is the matter with me, Bacheva? Like I am crazy. I am a crazy lady. Well, you know what? If I hear it again and again and again, first of all, I never think anybody's a crazy lady because you're entitled to feel the way you feel. Right. But when you hear it again and again and again, and I did, I started just thinking about it more and talking to women about it more. And I think, you know, all of a sudden your partner is like, he doesn't look like he looked yesterday, right? He's much more attractive when somebody else finds him attractive or her attractive. And um, there's a competitive part of us. Like we all want to feel like, oh my God, we are the hottest thing this person has. And now I need to kind of prove that. Like, you know, it's almost like I'm just as hot as she is. Do you know what I mean? Or, um, Or you look a lot better to me now because somebody else wants you. 
Um, or you don't feel like such a sure thing anymore like you did yesterday. Right. And I think there is something also about when we're able to separate from our partners so that we see them as separate individuals. And all of a sudden, it's not the lazy guy on the sofa who's, you know, molding into the sofa because he's watching television, but you're kind of re-seeing him as a individual and a human being who has a life and a way of thinking outside of your relationship. And that is really hot and sexy. So yeah, I I do see it all the time. And I think we've gotten to this idea that somehow sex should be comfortable, right? Like that it should be comfortable. And, you know, the hottest sex is often our newest sex in a new relationship when it's not that comfortable. It's a little scary and a little anxiety provoking. And so if you can embrace that a little bit and realize that, you know, when women say, when I say to women, well, let's think about other things you can try. You're like, maybe you want to tie him up. Maybe you want him to tie you up. And women are like, oh my God, I can't imagine. That would make me so uncomfortable. Like, you know, even talking about that. And I'm like, yeah, uncomfortable is good when it comes to sex. I hate to break the news to you, but your best sex was when you had those butterflies in your stomach. And that is a certain level of uncomfortableness. So it is sort of the same thing as, you know, in fantasizing, even imagine your partner having an affair. Imagine it as really as you can. See what it does to your libido. Yeah. <laughs> I remember I, I had a partner when I was younger and everywhere we went, um, people would hit on her. And I and people were like, aren't you a bit jealous? And I was like, no, I love it. Because I know I'm going home with her and no one else is. So. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, you know, the truth is that we don't want to admit that that is how we feel. And especially when you're in a long-term, long-term relationship, it is, it's scary to admit that there's a part of you that might feel that way. So a lot of people are like, oh my God, I would never feel that way. But I do ask people to just think about it a little bit more. Yeah, but, and you also mentioned something um, in the book about like... Uh, you, you cited some research and you're like, most people lie. And then, but, and, and you were like, oh yeah, most people lie. That's true. But then you said something that really stuck with me. You said, most people lie to others. So then they're really lying to themselves. And so they convince themselves that they feel something where they actually don't feel that. They're just really lying to themselves, not being honest about it. And obviously that could wreak havoc on your, you know, if you're like, you're not even being honest with yourself. Where do you go from there? It's so hard for us to be honest with ourselves, Halia. It's just so hard because we think we should be feeling a certain way. We should think a certain way. We should, like these women who are jealous when their partners are having affairs and all of a sudden they want to have sex with their partner and they're like, there's something wrong with me. And they can't even admit to themselves, oh my God, I'm so turned on. Like that would be, you know what I mean? That's a perfect example of it. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, all, all right. There's um, there's one more story that I want to get into and then we're going to um, wrap this up because uh, <laughs> this has just been so great. Um, you did. You also talk again near the end of the book about a woman uh, who, who, actually, a man who was always a nice guy. And one thing that is very common is people want to feel safe in the bedroom. So you can be safe, but you can still do things that are like there's lots of sexual acts that you can do with full consent. So the safety's there, but that they're a bit, you know, rough or aggressive. It, aggressive, yeah. And you talk about angry. This, yeah. And you talked about this man being getting angry one time and um quite angry and his partner being incredibly turned on by it. And, and that made him more angry. Let's talk about that a little bit because I thought that was a yeah, great story. It was so and it's so common. So this young woman comes in, she'd been married like, I don't know, maybe four years. And she sort of starts talking as she's talking. She of course bursts into tears. Like this is like the story of my life. And she's, she's feeling so guilty that she's not turned on by him and she loves him so much. And he's such a good guy, but she's not turned on by him. And then at some point I asked her, does he ever get angry? I was trying to dig a little bit for when he may get to raw emotions. This goes back to the real emotions. And all of a sudden this like light bulb went off in her head. She was like, oh my God, I remember once like a year and a half ago, he was so angry about something and I was so turned on by how angry he was. And then he got furious because, you know, the men in our lives have worked so hard to kind of get rid of some of those aggressive those aggressive emotions. And yet those aggressive emotions are often what turn each other on because they're so real and raw and independent. And so- we have to start understanding that that doesn't mean you're not safe, right? If there's somebody in the room who loves you, right? But if they can really get in touch with their, their I'm going to call it almost animalistic side, you know, the, the, the really deep reptilian part of themselves, which can really, really like take you, be there 
find pleasure, right? Then that doesn't make you unsafe. This guy isn't going to hit her or, or at least he won't hit her in any way that she doesn't want to be hit. Okay. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But, um, <laughs> but, but he could be real in a way where he can really kind of regain his emotional life in all its complexity. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that for them was really, I think a, a very important kind of turning point for them to realize that. Yeah. I think for all of us, it is. I mean, women are, you know, I, I think you mentioned before we turned the podcast on about the fact that there, I had a patient who was really turned on by ideas of shame, like yeah. shame turned her on. Her fantasies were about shame. And I'm like, that's fine. That's just your fantasy life. And it doesn't mean that you really want shame in your life or that you want to be shamed. It just means that that is what turns you on. And if we can embrace this broad spectrum of the emotional life that turns us on, it just makes our sex life easier and happier. Right. And that's why there's so many different types of porn. I remember once I searched for something to do with the Smurfs, um, like it's a child's cartoon and a porn thing came up of people dressed in blue. And I was like, first of all, that's really scary that I typed that in and I saw that because it's like a child's thing, but I just couldn't believe it because I'd never, I, I, I'm like, wow, people are into this. And they, they paint themselves blue and have sex and they're into that. So role-playing Smurfs, there you go. No, totally. Furry, Smurfs, everything. You know, I yeah. see it all the time when I have I have women patients who are like, oh my God, what's wrong with me? I'm, I'm fantasizing about women. And I know I'm not a lesbian. And I'm like, who cares if today you're not a lesbian and doesn't mean you're tomorrow. It just means exactly. you like fantasizing about women. Like yeah. just enjoy the fantasies. But yeah. we're, we, we just have such a hard time kind of letting go. We have such a restricted idea of what is kind of acceptable. It just is really hard. Yeah, it is really hard. Again, it says making ourselves wrong. Like you said, you know, like I've had part, um, female partners before. I don't have female partners now, but doesn't mean that like, doesn't mean anything. It just means, oh, I'm not really into women at this point in my life, but I have been before and that's totally okay. And it's, it's interesting. So that, yeah, everyone's just constantly trying to make themselves wrong. Oh, well, I shouldn't do that. I really try to get rid of the word should, because it's like, you know, what about could, you could do that. You, you know, you no, could do I something different. That, Talia. I love that. I especially when it comes to sex, I do, you know, the only should is that it should be consensual. The only yes. should is that yes. it should be respectful and consensual. Of course. In the, in the aggregate, that doesn't mean that you have to have respectful sex every time you have it. Right. Like right. that doesn't mean you have to ask every single step of the way, but beyond that, I love that. Why are we limiting ourselves so much in something that is so empowering and pleasurable to us. Yeah. I, I remember a guy, uh, I was at a restaurant actually, actually in New York city. <laughs> and a Come guy, on back. Come on I know back. I would love to. I would love that, to. I promise love me the next time in New York, you'll let me know. You I will. Absolutely. Okay. 100%. <laughs> and the guy, I was seeing a guy and he was like, he basically was like, do you want to go and fuck in the bathroom? <laughs> there you go. Yeah. And, and, example. I, and I was like, I was like, I thought about it for a second. I was like, First of all, I was like, no, we can't do that in my head. I didn't say it out loud. And then I was like, well, why not? Sure. <laughs> did you? I did. We did. See, you're, yeah. How we old did, were yeah. you? How old uh, you? I was 37. I, so would you do that now? How long yeah, sure. ago was that? That was only a year ago. <laughs> Oh my God. I love it. You clearly, my dear, have a lot of points. Although for some person, (laughs) although for some person, some people getting picked up in a bar and going to fuck in the bathroom is a lot of points in and of itself, right? It's very hot. So, um, yes, I, I, I think that, you know, and for somebody else getting picked up and going to have sex in the bathroom would be a big turnoff. So I think you have to just realize like what it is that turns you on and embrace it and be willing to move towards it as opposed to tying yourself up in the corner and unless that turns you on. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And here's the thing. I just want to clarify. I did know him. So he didn't pick me up at that time. And also I was like, Oh, I don't want to touch anything. Like don't touch anything. Well, that's what I said. (laughs) But um, no, it was actually pretty clean bathroom, but I was still like, don't touch. You wanted to clarify, but there's going to be somebody who's like, I really want to meet somebody at a bar and have sex with them. And as long as you do it safely with a condom, I'm like, go for it. Like why, why should we say, you know, if you're cheating on a partner, that's, that's a problem, right? If right. if you, the person is drunk, uh, that's that may be a problem. They don't know what they're doing. That's a problem. But beyond that, you know, if your religion and your moral values say that it's okay to do what you're doing, right? Then do it. Yeah, yeah. I remember uh, I was at a, a party not too long ago in Melbourne, and 
I met some flight attendants and I was like, oh my gosh, I would love to talk about all the stories. Like, tell me all the stories. Yes. And they were like, you would not believe the amount of people that have sex on the plane. And I was thinking in the bathroom. And she's like, no, in their seat. She said, I was serving and it was like business class. And there was a woman and in business class, there's those dividers between the seats. So you can't kind of like cuddle like you can in economy. And and they just met. They didn't know each other prior to the plane. <laughs> and she comes over and the woman is sitting on the man. They're having sex at the front of the bulk. <laughs> and, and she's just like, she's like, had to tap them on the shoulder and be like, ma'am, can you like sit in your seat? And like, and, and I was like, oh my well, God. Yeah, it was, I know, I couldn't believe it. I was like, wait a second, tell me more. And she's like, yeah, she goes, and here's the thing, it's not unusual. And I, I was just like, I couldn't believe it. I'd never. I, I'm I, also shocked. I have to tell you, you have just said that. Not shocked I, exactly, but surprised. Yeah. Yeah, right. Doing it in public like that. Is yeah. And I usually, yeah. yeah. And someone, the proximity of the person in the seat next to you. And just like, and I was, I said to her, was there a blanket around them? Like what? Give me more details. Like this is, um, I've got to have an episode with a flight attendants uh, un- unchained <laughs> where they that's, just tell. <laughs> that's so interesting. And then she stopped them. And were they well, well she at her? had to because obviously it's like really inappropriate to do it when there's other people around. And um, were they annoyed or did they stop? Um, she well, she said she had to she had to tap on their shoulder for quite a bit and then be like, and obviously it was really awkward. But like, you know, I'm sorry, you've really got it. Oh my god, okay. yeah. I, I wouldn't want her job. That's all I want to say. I just I couldn't believe it. Disinfect the seat afterwards. Well, that's what I was thinking as well. Like hygiene, hygiene, and kind of like things like that. I was like, well, that's a bit. You know, yeah, because I, I was like, well, I don't want any like fluids around in this area. Like, yeah, yeah, it was. Well, uh, personally, I fly quite a bit and I haven't seen anybody having sex on the plane. I but haven't then, either. You know, I haven't okay, either. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Butcheva, this has been such an amazing um, episode. I really, really appreciate you being here. You're an absolute legend. I love this book. Everybody should read this book. I really believe that it's called Sex Points. Um, if you haven't got your copy, um, how can people find out about you and where can they get in touch? So um, on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, but mostly Instagram, it's Dr. Bacheva, D-R, Bacheva, B-A-T-S-H-E-V-A. Um, if you want the book, it's on it's it's an Amazon or any of the major retailers. I have a website, Dr. Bacheva, D-R-B-A-T-S-H-E-V-A. Once you got that spelling, you found me. And um, I love getting comments and ideas and thoughts, but I really try on Instagram to share a lot of information. So you can join me there. Mm -hmm. Well, this has been definitely the most explicit I've ever gotten in an episode. So, (laughs) It's my my pleasure and we should talk more. (laughs) Yeah, we absolutely should. And for everybody listening, you can find all the links mentioned in this episode at rebellove.com forward slash EP32. Thank you again. Appreciate you. Good night. Thanks for listening to the Rebel Love Podcast, the podcast about love, sex, relationships, and money. If you like this episode, please support us by subscribing and leaving a review on your favorite podcast platform and find all the details of this episode and more at rebellove.com forward slash podcast.